Attention shoppers, we now have taste in the bread aisle. Dave's Killer Bread. That's right, an organic bread that doesn't need three spoonfuls of sriracha jam to delight your taste buds. Dave's Killer Bread is a 21-grain salute to the end of boring bread, a brand on a mission to make the most out of every loaf, to rid the world of GMOs and artificial ingredients, and plant the seeds of good in all that they bake. But Dave's Killer Bread has done more than raise the bar on bread. In fact, Dave's Killer Bread was built on the belief that second chances can change lives. When its founder, Dave, the guy with the guitar you see on every loaf, returned to the family bakery after 15 years in prison. Dave took that chance and ended up creating what would become the country's number one organic bread while never forgetting his not-so-easy path. That's why at Dave's Killer Bread, they proudly practice second-chance employment, hiring the best person for the job, regardless of criminal background. And by the taste of it, things have worked out rather well. Dave's Killer Bread. Bread Amplified. This is the Greg Scheinman Podcast. The Greg Scheinman Podcast. Brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. Ben Siegel joins me today on the Greg Scheinman Podcast. Ben is the owner and founder of Bangers Austin, where they've got over 106 beers on draft. 30 house-made sausages, live music, and an off-the-leash dog park right in the middle of downtown Austin. Ben Siegel on the Greg Scheinman podcast today. So, Ben, tell me a little bit about how you got the the idea for, for bangers. The first kind of, okay, this is, this is something I want to do, and I'm going to turn this into a business. Yeah, man. So, you know, my story... Um you know, really started in, in, in college. I was a, a, a student at UT. Um, like most college students, I went out a lot. And uh, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, I would uh, was sort of faced with the choice of, okay, well, now that i am you know got a good buzz going, what is it that I want to eat? And, uh, and by and large, I always made the same choice, which was going to the best horse sausage cart. And it always kind of blew me away that, you know, the line was two or three times as long as that cart versus, you know, the taco trucks or the pizza place or, or, or the other options that were there at the time. And um, and I, I think it was, you know, probably my junior or senior college that, that, I, that, that was sort of the seed of the idea. It was like, man, like, here's a successful sausage cart. Why isn't there a brick and mortar restaurant that's doing this? Like, man, wouldn't that make a great business? Um, but I was, a, I was a finance major at the time. I was going down a much more, we'll just say, kind of traditional path. And uh, I really had zero restaurant experience whatsoever. I mean, I'd never washed dishes. I'd never waited tables. My parents weren't in the business. Nothing. Um, and so I went on about my life. I got my degree in finance. I ended up moving to Dallas. I got a job as a commercial real estate broker. And... I would say almost immediately, you know, within probably about a month of starting my job, I knew that it was not what I wanted to do. But then I was sort of faced with the age old question that every, you know, sort of college graduate or 20, 30, however year old has, which is, what do I want to do with my life? And, uh, and what is such a seemingly simple question for somebody asking themselves, right? Because I'm the only one that can answer that question. Uh, it's one of the most difficult questions to answer, and so I, I was sort of grappling this. But I, you know, I really wasn't at that time. Uh, I wasn't enough of a free spirit to say, "All right, well, I'm just going to kind of go on a vision quest and, you know, f- quit my job and figure it out." So I, I kind of kept doing the real estate thing, 
and you know, and, and, and just sort of pondering the question. And, and, and as I think about it, this idea of, a, you know, for the restaurant would pop up and I'd push it down as being kind of a ridiculous thing. It like, you know, again, no experience and, and, and all the things that people tell you about the business, right? I mean, it's the hardest business in the world and failure rates and this and that, which, you know, I, I don't necessarily know that I believe that to be true. It is a hard business, but what, what business isn't hard? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so, long story short, I, I you know I graduated college in about two thousand five, um, and you know was was working in Dallas. Um, you know, kind of that cycle continued. I moved back home to Los Angeles, which is where I'm originally from, uh, in like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and uh, and was continuing to work in commercial real estate. I went from the leasing to the investment sales side of things. Didn't like it anymore. Um, and meanwhile, my, my partner in commercial real estate uh, was a guy named Kyle Miller, and uh, he had just had a guy. He lived in a um, he lived in an apartment above retail, and a new restaurant had opened up below him. And I sort of confided in him about my dream of kind of opening this restaurant and kind of how ridiculous it was, and whatever. And he was like, "Man, you know, there's this chef that just opened this restaurant right below me. This guy named Sean Cheney. You guys would love each other. You'd hit it off." So he introduced us, and, and, and we really did get along, and and uh, and so again, the, the the seed was sort of planted a little bit more. I'd say about 2009, I was working in downtown LA, and a restaurant opened up there called uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. It's Sausage Kitchen in German, but I think it's like Wurstkuchen or Wurstkuchen, something like that. And uh, they've actually got a location in Denver now too. But but it opened up, and uh, you know, I went there for lunch and I walked in the place and it was like, oh my God, you know, these guys stole my idea. Of course, they didn't steal my idea. I didn't tell anybody about my idea, but it was, but this was basically it. It was a sausage and beer restaurant. That's all they were doing was sausage and beer. And and again, the, the, the you know, what they were doing is, you know, a little bit more modern. They weren't making their own sausages. I mean, there, there's differences in the concepts, but it was, but at the end of the day, it was sausage and beer. And so it was very much validation for this idea that I had. And not only that, but it was like, man, if this could work in downtown Los Angeles where people don't eat sausage and really don't drink beer, mm-hmm. imagine in Austin where I wanted to go back to and 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 again it was like, man, I, I you know, there's really something here. But at the same time, that voice in my head, I just squashed it immediately. It was like that's ridiculous, you know, you gotta stay on the you know, the really responsible path that you're on. Um, and then really, you know, kind of to, to sort of wrap this up, what what ended up happening was was kind of a cliche um, you know, kind of a romantic thing. I was I was on an airplane flight. This was December 2010. I was on an airplane flight home from Washington, D.C. One of my best buddies was getting married. And I basically kind of had this epiphany. There were sort of these three thoughts that hit me all at the same time. And, and you know, the first one was, you know, I, I'd kind of gone through my life assuming that everything was just going to work out, right? That I was going to be successful and I was going to be rich and, like, it was just going to happen. And what I realized was that's not the way it works. You know, like, you know, success isn't handed to you. You know, happiness isn't handed to you. Those are all things that you need to, you need to, you need to do that. Like, if, if, if you want to be happy, then go get happy. If you want to be successful, then go get successful. Um, and then that was, you know, that, that thought was, you know, sort of followed up by, well, hang on a minute. I'm, I'm, you know, at the time I was 27 years old, no kids, had no wife. And I basically was in total control of my own destiny. I could I could do whatever I wanted. I could live wherever I wanted. And the only thing standing in my way was me. And I saw that really clearly. And then the third thought was, well, shoot, I know what I want to do. I want to open up a sausage house and beer garden in Austin, Texas. And literally, uh, the plane landed. And I called my boss at the time and said, you know, 
I'm putting in my notice. You tell me how much time you need. And it was about two weeks notice. And, and, uh, and that was really kind of the, the true start of my business. Yeah. It's an amazing story. And, and, <laughs> and you think about, you know, how many people, and I, and I always talk about this, how many have an idea? You know, how many have, have, a, have a vision and something that they want to do, but it's never the right time, you know? They do sit in that office and they never put in that notice and they'll have the epiphanies over and over again, but never kind of take that leap to, to actually go ahead and, and do it. So it, it's it's one thing to get off that plane and you land and you go, okay, I'm going to put in my notice, okay? It's the next to say, well, now how am I going to go do this? Mm-hmm. So. I love the, the clarity aspect of, okay, I'm in control of my own destiny, I'm going to do this, but I'm also really intrigued by, by the confidence aspect of mm-hmm. it and the balls, if you will. It's, okay, I'm putting in the notice and I'm going to go do this and, and what's step one when you haven't operated a restaurant or worked in a restaurant or anything before, what's step one when you land, let's say, in Austin and say, we're going to, we're going to go do this and we're going to do this on the most crowded, let's say, popular, most competitive street you know, in town? Well, you know, I, so I think we're, we're we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, you know, because you know, in terms of Rainy Street and that, it was it, it, it seems like a much better idea now than it than it did at the time, and and so I'll I'll jump into that in a in a minute, maybe not as as crazy as, as when Bridget took the leap, but it was it was still questionable. Um, but you know, so 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 again, for me, I, I met this guy Sean Chaney, and 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 so I you know put my two weeks in with with my boss, and and. Uh, and then my next call was basically to Sean and just said, man, I, you know, I did it, you know, cause I've been talking about the idea for a while. I was like, I, you know, I finally did it. I took the plunge. Like I have no job anymore and I'm going to dedicate, you know, all of my, you know, energy and attention into, into trying to make this a reality. And so basically, uh, Sean was in the process of opening up his second restaurant and that restaurant ended up opening in February of 2013. And so this was December of 2000, excuse me, uh, February of 2011. This is December 2010. Is where we were. And were his places still out out in California? Yeah, he's uh, the yeah. So he has the restaurant that he was opening is still open. It's called Hot's Kitchen. Is what it's called in uh, it's in Hermosa Beach. Um, and so what happened was is I spent you know I went to business school right. So I had like you know some basic concepts right. I knew you needed a business plan. I knew you needed a financial model. I knew you kind of needed these kind of the basic building blocks of a business. Okay. And so what I would do is I, I, I said, all right, but you know, I need to make sure that this is what I actually want to do for a living because, again, I had zero experience. And so I spent about two months with Sean, kind of shadowing him in the, in the process in those final two months of opening the restaurant. And then from you know, about February to June, I'd spend basically three, four days a week with him doing everything from kind of playing owner and running around and buying stuff to you know, being a manager to working in the kitchen to waiting tables to being a host to kind of doing, you know, trying to touch all the different parts of the restaurant and say, do I really want to do this? And then spend three, four days a week doing that. And then I spent three, four days a week at home hammering away at my, uh, at my business plan. And all the while, another really good buddy of mine was getting his MBA at UT, this guy named Adam Glick. Um, and even though I got a degree in finance, I like to say shame on the University of Texas for letting that happen. I, I know I, I, I couldn't write a financial model. Um, and so he really came on and, and really was the closest thing that I had to a partner um, at that time, really was my partner. And um, and so I basically, you know, would, would do that and then, I'd, and then we'd kind of make a list, right, of like, um, oh, well, we need to hire an attorney and we need to hire a graphic designer and find a, you know, a real estate agent, just these basic things that we could come up with that you need to do to start a business. 
we planned a trip out to Austin. I had a uh, I'd stay on his floor, um, basically on an air mattress, and then I'd cold call the different you know professions that we needed to set up meetings with, and then we'd set those meetings for in between his classes, and then we'd go and meet with attorneys or graphic designers, whoever it may be, and um, that's kind of how we got going. After that's done, so you've got the business plan in here. Okay, so you, you got to fund it too, you know, mm-hmm. in there too. Mm-hmm. How did uh, how did that actually? come together and, and, and share, I guess, what, what you can on it because it's not not an inexpensive undertaking, not something you can just go do, you know, on, again, on your own. You talked about the, all the moving pieces that are involved in it. Uh, but yeah, how did you how did you go to anybody and say, I'm going to open up a sausage and beer joint and here's my financial model, if you will, or my plan for bangers. Invest in this. Here's where the lines go. They go up, you know, on you. We're going to make this work. So it was interesting. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of that has to do really with Rainy Street and the opportunity that Rainy Street provided, right? So if you think about trying to open up a restaurant, right, where you where there's not a real estate play involved, you're basically talking about an uncollateralized loan, right? I mean, you just need cash and no bank is going to give you money you know, in, in, in terms of the cash that you actually need to start the business. And so, you know, that was sort of the initial process that we had was looking at places on, uh, you know, on 6th Street and South Congress and these other places where there was availability, but it would have been a pure lease deal. With Rainy Street, what was interesting was, at that time at least, everything was for sale. And so the one thing that I knew how to do in this whole process was put a real estate deal together. And what I realized was that even though the the gross dollar amount that was going to be needed for the deal, which ended up being about $2 million, was much larger, the actual equity that we needed was much lower because we could get an SBA loan to finance against a hard asset. And so uh, we ended up actually only needing to raise about $300,000, which, you know, had we not had the real estate component, probably would have been about three times that much money is my guess. Um, and so again, it was it was in total about $350,000, about 50 of that was my own money, 300 from uh, investors and the investors were really all friends and family. Um, you know, I was able to do, you know, my, my, my viewpoint was I wanted it to be uh, a small group uh, because I knew how risky it was to kind of take some of the pressure off of myself. I wanted to uh, make sure that nobody had a huge chunk of money, right? And in, in invested, and um, and so we ended up raising from about ten guys, and you know everybody in for you know about thirty grand on average across the board, and that's how it happened. So when you put it together, and you come out with with bangers, how is it received? How are you feeling about it? What keeps you up at night? What part of you know, get getting involved and you open the doors and go, okay, am I executing the way I want to? What are we tweaking here? Are people coming in the way? What what are you wrestling with? I mean that it that's again, I kinda look at this and you go, Wow, you know, how this looked on paper, you know, and how this turned out and in there. How close were you? You know, what have you what was that? Tell me about that a little bit. So it's interesting, you know, it, it, it it's you know, you you as you go through life and you start reading more things and experiencing more things, you, you, you kind of read things that are all of a sudden formalized that you kind of did on accident. And kind of what I mean by that is, you know, I wrote a very detailed and specific business plan, right? 
And at the time, it was just, it was my business plan. But what I realized now is that I was really writing more of like a vision statement, right? I mean, I was sort of projecting what this business was going to look like into the future, which is now kind of vision writing is something that I'm actually reading a lot about right now. And as we kind of get into our expansion, something that I'm really focusing on. And um, so honestly, I contribute a lot of my success to the time that I put into kind of visualizing and writing about kind of what that successful business would ultimately look like. And the reality of it is, if I showed you that business plan, which I'm happy to do, um, and you were to read it, it's it's amazing how similar kind of the look and feel of what was written actually ended up transpiring into reality. And, you know, I, I, I you know, one of the things that I, that I did that, that I give myself a lot of credit for was being really honest about what I was good at and what I was bad at, where I was strong and where I was deficient. And, and, and I made a decision really early on that I wasn't going to be ashamed of what I didn't know. I was going to be really honest about it. And then I was going to try to find the best people I could to supplement those deficiencies and, and to basically buy expertise to the extent that I was able to. Um, and so that's essentially what I did. Um, you know, I brought in, you know, when I first, first started the process, it was like, man, I'm going to be the executive chef. I love to grill. I love to cook. Like, you know, my buddies tell me I'm a great cook. And, and you know, really quickly I sorted out that, man, there's a big difference between cooking for 10 friends at home and, and, and running a whole restaurant. So I was like, all right, well, I'll bring on an executive chef. And then, um, then I was like, all right, but I'll be the general manager, right? I'll be the guy doing all the operations and everything else. And then it just occurred to me, I was like, I've never done this before, right? Like, why make every mistake? Like, am I smart enough to figure it out? Sure. But like, there's a lot of price that needs to be paid in order to like get that education, and and I can bring somebody in that's done it a million times and times and times and I can and I can kind of watch that, you know. And basically, that's that's essentially what happened. You know, we we opened up as a really successful restaurant. Uh, we had an executive chef in place. We had a general manager in place. And and what I realized, and and what is actually kind of difficult, especially for the ego, is that the owner of a restaurant is a position in and of itself that 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 deserves you know uh, its own full attention and i think a lot of times where these types of businesses get a, get off the rails is the owner starts putting his hat or putting his hand in a lot of different pots maybe where he shouldn't mm-hmm. um, and so really kind of the way that i describe my job in a lot of ways to set that vision for the company and to kind of make the lines for the other guys to be able to color inside so I don't know if that answered the question no, or not, or if it, I went in a lot of different directions. No, it, it does. Um, but it, but I also look at, you know, the ability to delegate, you know, mm-hmm. also. You get a lot of a lot of situations where, you know, people tend to hold on too tight, you know. Mm-hmm. They're they're so fixated and focused on that vision, and it's it's difficult to get anybody else to, to execute that exact vision, or if it doesn't go well, they have they have trouble trouble delegating. It seems like you you grasp that early, like okay, let's go get that experience, let's go get that people, uh, th- those types of people. What what strategies do you take, and get, and, and what do you do to get people on board with your vision? I mean, because at the beginning your team was probably a lot smaller. Now, as you continue to grow, you're adding multiple, multiple layers, you know, uh, and then the, the head count goes up, and every everything goes up. What do you do to get your team and your people on board with your with your vision? So it's it's a really good question, um, and it's funny because we're we're right in the middle of it now, kind of as we're as we're prepping for growth. I think that um, 
you know, as as a as a really small and sort of approaching a medium sized business, you know, and as long as you're a hands on owner, which which I was, right? I mean, I was doing my best to give these guys a lot of freedom, but like you know, the office that we're sitting in now, which is my office, is on site at the restaurant, right? So I'm here almost every day. I just had a baby about a year and a half ago, which sort of tampered back my 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 involvement in the restaurant, but I'm still here five or six days a week. Congrats, uh, Mazel. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> um, and. Uh, um, you know, and so I, I think that you can get away with um, not necessarily having that stuff formalized by kind of living it, right? Like, it, you know, if you're, if you're living your vision and you're, a, you're able to be there and sort of correct things in real time. And, you know, one of the things that, that, that was real important to me is I really respect the chain of command here. You know what I mean? So I've got a general manager. I need to give the general manager an opportunity to do his job. And, and him doing his job is not me basically managing his managers or his frontline employees. But if I see something that I don't like, then I go talk directly to the general manager. And, and, and he shows me, the, you know, kind of respect and, and you know, kind of does the things that, that I ask him to do or tells me why I'm crazy and, and it should mm-hmm. be done and, and a conversation ensues. However, I think that as a company grows, which we're getting ready to grow, it becomes important that those things be written down and clearly articulated. And, and I think that that's, that's the key to, I guess, you know, being able to have people actualize your vision is allowing them to fully understand what that vision is. So with, with that, you get into an opera again an operations issue now. Okay, mm-hmm. you go from things that are in your head, okay, mm-hmm. to things that are now happening, mm-hmm. to now things that are being written down, mm-hmm. to getting more corporate. You know, and was a little, a little more or more structure. You know, we always sure I like that word yeah. better. So a lot, a lot more, <laughs> a lot more structure in there, and, and and I wrestle with this a lot too because you're in two separate businesses. One, you know, at at, at my insurance firm, we're 110 people now. We were 50 when I, when I got there. Now mm-hmm. we're 110. And when we were 50 and everybody knew each other, mm-hmm, we didn't have an HR, you know, person per se, you know. Everybody ran their teams, you know, their way. When you double and you're more than double and you're at 110 and you're bringing on new people, well, how do we do things? You know, what does the company stand for? What is the – and we're kind of – are we buttoned up or are we not buttoned up? You know, can Greg be in Austin looking like this and we're sitting in our desks in a suit, you know, during during the day? So I, I, I spend a lot of time on how to how to motivate and how to get people again on board with the kind of service and the business and everything the thing we want. Um, and it is difficult to articulate it. Are you are you a good do you think are you a good writer are you obviously you're a good you're a good you're a good speaker but how do you take it again and like are you able to sit down and craft that kind of you know so i think part of the i think part of the answer to your question is uh, to the extent that you can make it a collaborative process with your team you should um, you know so so as an example literally we're we're getting ready to you know finalize our you know kind of our vision and our values right so i'm flying out a facilitator uh, who's actually coming in? I mean, it's right there on the. So he's flying in on the 25th. Him and I are going to do a little session together, one on one. On the 26th, on Monday, uh, we're going to do a session with our management team, which is about 15 people. Mm-hmm. And then on the 27th, which is the, which is a Tuesday, we're closing down the restaurant for uh, you know kind of the lunch service. Um, so everyone's going to get there about nine o'clock, and we have from nine until 4 p.m. with the whole staff to basically finalize all that stuff and I think you know for a lot of um, I think for a lot of owners that 
would feel like a really vulnerable position to be in, right? Like, what if these people say something that I don't agree with or, mm-hmm. or whatever else? And and, uh, and I just, I don't know, I kind of think that's nonsense. You know, I mean, it, it, it's uh, these are the people, these are your frontline employees that are, that are working it and living it. And especially for us, a business that's been around for five years, you know, the, you know, I guess what I hope my vision would be and what my vision actually is and how it's being actualized uh, what a wonderful opportunity to hear that and then either shift what I'm doing or say, man, we need to do a lot of work to get us back on track. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. And and recently I started kind of engaging in that process a little bit too. For a while, I was internalizing or I was taking on a lot of it myself. And then through another restaurateur and, and friend and, and client, and Noah probably won't share his name because I don't know who he wants to. He had introduced me to a great individual, a guy named Chris Bernal. I will plug him at Effective Behavioral Systems who I've been using for the last several months to help, again, both of my businesses kind of get where we want them to go and mm-hmm. sit down and do that. But one of the, the best experiences you're trying is, is that vulnerability. When you kind of commit to the process and agree to put yourself out there and say, okay, Chris, you can call everybody that works for me, with me, okay? You can call my wife, you can call my business investors, you can call my business partners, you can call everybody down to the client service rep and you can just let them just rip away. Yep. Just you know, just go go for it. You know. And how do you want to be? And you get to that step when you say the the, hopefully the result is. You know, how do you want people to view you? You know, how do you want to be viewed by people? You know, and how are we going to put this down so that we can all get to to where we're we're trying to go? Mm-hmm. You find out. That was a wonderful seventeen page report about myself that I got to read, and it was the most humbling thing I'd ever read. But you learned so much from it, and I think it does make you. At least in my case finally like as somebody that doesn't love to manage people and mm-hmm. certainly better at the pride and understanding of what the other side of it the side of it goes through so and and, and on, on that note so when you cut when you get out of that I guess is it is it more I guess hopefully inspiring kind of you know motivating what recharges the battery now as you've got you know a big hole in the ground next door mm-hmm. next door to this that goes from excitement to kind of degrees of overwhelming, you know, in there too. Um, how do you, how do you function on this next door right behind you that's every day, and also focus on on what the next stage is? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think that it's it's it goes back to sort of what I was saying before. It's 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 understanding what my role is in 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 this organization and in this process, right? So, I'm no longer the operator of the business, you know, and, and kind of you're pointing behind me, the restaurant's to my back. And, and you know, the, the, the general manager and the, you know, kind of the, the managers below him, and, you know, we, we now have an executive chef and a sort of a head of culinary operations that sit above, sits above the executive chef. I mean, those guys are really the operators of, of, that, of that business, right? My job is just to make sure that the way that operation is functioning is in line with the vision that, you know, has been laid out in, in part by me, but but hopefully, you know, pretty soon at least in a more collaborative manner. Um, and, and you know, and so for right now, my, my responsibility is kind of in two parts. Number one, you know, to make sure that that development gets developed properly. And again, I brought in, you know, an unbelievable general contractor to focus on that. And, and again, just like I have an operator over here, I got an operator over there. Um, and then it's really to do the work that, that we were just discussing. I mean, everything from, um, you know, trying to set 
kind of the vision and the values for the overall organization, right? Like what's our company ethos mm -hmm. to then sort of specific visions for the different operating components of this larger business that we're creating. Because, you know, if you kind of zoom out to five years and this is sort of the thing that I'm grappling with right now. So I, I, I'm literally in the middle of this process and I mean, it's what I was doing before you came in was trying to hammer away it a little bit. Um, but, you know, when it's all said and done, we're going to have about five different restaurant concepts on these three lots and and how those, you know, and, and, and probably seven total businesses. And so how all of those operate in harmony and and, and it not be some, you know, big confusing mess um, requires a really strong vision and a lot of forethought, you know, and, and sort of a lot of, all right, here's where we want to be you know, in five years, how do we get back to year one? And what does that evolution look like? Because at least for us here, it needs to be an evolution, you know, because part of the fear is, you know, I think as the Austin restaurant scene evolves and becomes more competitive, um, you know, you need to a certain extent evolve with it. But with that said, you know, when you've got, when you've done something that's really successful and that people like, the thought of then changing that is, gutty right I mean mm -hmm. that's a that's a difficult thing to do and 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 I think that you know ultimately at least right now that's kind of where my mindset is going is that um, you know a tweak to the operations is sort of required um, especially for how we're positioned in the market right now and sort of the the growth that's coming not just to Austin but within walking distance of this property is I mean it's astronomical mm -hmm. it's astronomical so can you do too much? You know, I mean, I'm, the Bangers brand, and it, it stands for something. You know, mm -hmm. like when you came, okay, here's the brand, here's what our core, our ethos is. And can you do too much? And do you do you find yourself kind of also, okay, not here or not for this, or I may have this other idea, or there may be a sixth restaurant concept in my mind, you know, but it's not going to work, you know, here, you know. Oh and yeah. You can sit back now and look at all this. Am I ready for something else? But here or not or not here, and and I think you see that sometimes too. You say with, with with some success, people tend to boom, they jump, you know, super fast, and they be into some some other things. But what you were doing was it was working, man. You mm -hmm. know, it was it was working, and that's that's a that's tough for some creative people to not to let something just work, mm -hmm. you know, and not move on to the next. Are there are there other concepts or things that you find yourself holding back from now? Say, okay, this is. Year, next year, year two, year five, you know? I just, so I think uh, the short answer to your question is yes, you can absolutely do too much. And, and I think another big thing that I'm grappling with is I think one of the keys to our success here at Bangers is, you know, the name of our business is Bangers Sausage House and Beer Garden, right? Mm -hmm. You walk in the door, it's a sausage house and beer garden. It's incredibly transparent. It's incredibly direct. Our customer knows exactly what they're getting when they show up and when they get here, it's what they thought it was going to be and, and hopefully exceeds those expectations. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, but, but then with that said, we have this really incredible and unique opportunity to, I guess, build on the success that we have here already. And then again, the incredible growth that's coming, the sheer number of people that are gonna be you know, in this vicinity. I've actually got it written down somewhere and I can kind of say it if, if we think people will be interested. There was just a study done that was talking about the growth that's coming to the area. Um, you know, and, and, and so it, it, it's, it's, 
I guess yes, and, 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 and you can absolutely screw it up, you can absolutely do too much, but you can also take something from, from what, what appears to be great but could just be very good and then ultimately make that great mm-hmm. by evolving. Yep. Um, and so, you know, I guess that's what all that visioning work is for, you know, and, and it's, it's trying to get, you know, the rest of the, you know, trying to get that laid out in a very clear manner. Uh, and then if it if it looks crazy, then pivot and do something else, you know. But that's why you get it written down before you uh, before you go. Bangers products and other. And now that you've got the sausage house and you've got the the beer garden as you expand, are you going to be doing your own doing your own food sausage processing? Are you looking to go retail? Or is, I mean, is that a facet of, of what you're doing too? Again, I know I see you you've done such a great job of branding. Um, now you, why is somebody wearing a banger's hat? They're wearing, again, what are they? They're wearing the shirt, you know? They're looking at, okay, I really like this. I like the product. I like the sausage. Is it your own? Is it, is it, that's where, is that where you guys are headed to? You see a lot, especially in Austin now too, with, with some tremendous food, you know, food and beverage brands that are growing right out of Austin and, and becoming, becoming big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it's interesting, right? I mean, like my, you know, one of my original motivations for, uh, getting into the restaurant business was to be in the restaurant business. And uh, as I said before, I'm not in the restaurant business right now. I'm much more have an office job than anything else. And, you know, I hope that pivots ultimately. Um, but with that said, you know, the, the when I think about restaurants and I think about kind of what we're able to do here with kind of like the sort of multi-concept but all interrelated, I guess, is, is sort of part of it right to kind of jump back it, it, it's you know there's you know there's you know there's kind of a we bake our own bread so you have a little bakery and we're there's a smokehouse where we're making the meat that you know is used in the sausage house and so they're all kind of could stand alone but they're all kind of talking to each other um you know the I, the the ability to be able to truly kind of dedicate my physical time to an organization like that is exciting to me um if you think about a consumer products business like you were asking me for, we've absolutely positioned ourselves to, to be able to do that, right? So I think about like pickles, condiments, and then, you know, and then our sausage. Because right now, one of the interesting things about us is, you know, we're a scratch kitchen. We make all of our food here in-house. We're making like 30 varieties of sausage. We hand cut our own french fries. We make our own condiments. We pickle our own vegetables. And on down the line, um, we just do it on a really, really large scale. Um, you know, on a big week, we'll, we'll serve upwards of seven thousand people a scratch meal for about twenty bucks. You know, and so it's it's and that's another big big component of of, of our ethos is um, you know affordability. You know, the fact that that anyone can come and eat here. You know, mm-hmm. good honest meal that anyone can come and eat. Um, but the consumer products business, I think, would be a great business to be in because it's. It's it's a business that isn't I guess kind of draining on the soul. You know you can you can set up operations in such a way that you can grow a really large business and still spend time with your family and still spend time in the restaurant that you created that you hope to be able to actually work inside of. What rattles your cage a little bit? What you know what kind of people do you like to surround yourself with? Kind of. What don't you put up with at all? It says, okay, I don't, I don't have time. I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that, uh, I guess, people that aren't self-aware kind of wear on me a little bit. You know what I mean? It's like people that, you know, are, are you know, kind of complaining about 
complaining about the person that they are and not really not realizing that that's the thing that they're complaining about um yeah man i I think that as you get i think it's one of the you know one of the benefits of getting older for the most part is you realize how precious time is and you know you only want to spend time with people that are sort of bettering or enriching your lives and and cut the fat um and uh you know in, in in that regard um i'm really happy with the people that that i'm surrounded with right now you know and and uh you know just kind of no mean shitty people in my life just for the most part good people that are easy to get along with i guess i think that is the uh kind of the ideal transition you know uh and a perfect spot to end on so i really appreciate your time uh great to hear more about bangers hear about your story learn all about it and certainly looking forward to to the expansion and uh and many more quality affordable great 2 a.m plus meals <laughs> you know <laughs> and then beer down here so thank you very much ben siegel greg scheinman podcast thank you thank you the greg scheinman podcast was presented by ends group insurance ends group is ensuring success for more information visit endsgroup.net.